0: All right, lesson number five, uh, we, we're going to uh, kind of review this just a little bit and, and then move forward. And then Christ also said in Matthew sixteen eighteen 18b, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not what? Shall not prevail against it. So there's been no time in history that God's church has been wiped out, even though it's you know, people have tried to do that. Satan has tried to to wipe out Christ's church from the very beginning, but God said that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then in the back of our uh, the book that I handed out a few weeks ago, and I have a couple of these left if anybody would like to have one, the Trail of Blood book. How many of you have seen this little pamphlet? Okay, they made it a little larger... So you can, it, for us older people, so it's working out pretty good, and they have a bigger chart on it, and I'm going to refer to that a little bit more, but this this book is an awesome book about our history and where we've come from, so we'll probably make reference to that um, all throughout Uh, this lesson and even today but our next bullet point on our handout says the traits of the the traits were the marks of a biblical new testament church and we went through those and they're listed in this book and so even down through history when the name of the church didn't say baptist on it if it had those traits if it followed those marks according to what uh, the the author on the trail of, of blood booklet wrote in there it's basically a, what we would call a Baptist church because they have the same characteristics, okay? And then we talked about the early church, lesson number two, uh, and the definition of a church. And we have the word ecclesia written in your handout. And ekklesia is a compound word from ek, which means out, and from kaleo, which means a calling together. So a church is a calling out of people, to meet together, kind of a kind of a play on words there, so a church is a calling out and a putting together, a calling out of the world to come together to do a service and a work for the Lord, so that's what a church is, and we made a big deal about how the church was started, you know, and where the first church was. And so let me just kind of go through this bullet point real quickly. The first church was started in Jerusalem on the day that Christ arose from the grave. That night, when they were all meeting together in that room when Christ appeared to them, that was the first New Testament church meeting because there had to be a death of the testator to have the New Testament. So it couldn't have, it may have been being formed before then. And it was with with the apostles and the disciples and the people that were following Jesus. But it was not started until the day that Christ arose from the grave. And it was not empowered until the day of Pentecost, if you want to get real technical. Then we have other churches were formed by disciples of Christ who were at Jerusalem, who saw the events take place, and then afterwards went back home. And of course, when they went back home, they preach the good news that Jesus was, was, was not dead, that he had rose from the grave. And when you preach the gospel, what happens, class? Oh, I'm putting... I, what happens? You know, churches are formed, right? You can't help but to form a church when you go somewhere and you preach the gospel and people accept Christ as their Savior because they want to meet. God puts it in their heart to meet. Okay, and so uh, other churches were formed when people went back to their home city, told the gospel, people were saved, groups were formed, churches were formed. Okay, and then still other churches were formed because of persecution and people leaving Jerusalem and going to other cities and again preaching the gospel and as a result people were saved and churches were started. Now, not only that, we saw that churches were formed by people being specifically sent out to preach the gospel, and as a result, churches were started then. So who would be an example of that? Who actually was sent out from a church on missionary trips that we know of in the Bible to preach the gospel? Paul and the team and Barnabas and and those guys. So when they went out and preached the gospel, what happened? People got saved, people started churches. OK And so that's, and that will, will come back to play even today. And then lesson three, we talked about the early church fathers up into about 250 A.D, and then early church heresies, because as soon as the churches were started, there were heresies being uh, circling around those churches and, and the New Testament churches in general. Lesson four, we talked about groups of New Testament churches and their leaders up into about 1,500. And all of these, we talked about the Donatists, the Waldenses, the Pollicans, the Aborigines, and I'm butchering their names, guys, the Petributions, and so forth, along with a lot of others. So we can see our heritage starts back in Jerusalem and it just starts spreading. Okay, And then we saw that the false church was trying to Exterminate the true churches and continuing heresies that they invented. And we we started, they started out with number one. Can anybody tell the class what was one of the first things that they tried to force on the true biblical churches? The false church. Well, we saw that back in in Acts 15 at, at the church of Antioch that there was. A couple people from, a couple men from Jerusalem that came down to Antioch and, and told them, unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved. And then they said, a little later on, and then you got to follow the law to be saved. And then we talked about that out of those two statements, everything else comes. Because everything is centered on you have to do something to be saved. You have to do something to be saved. And the second one is you have to do something to stay saved. Everything has exploded from those two statements that we saw right back in the book of Acts. And so every false church out there or every church that's in heresies are are basically, you can stem them down to those two things. You have to do something special to be saved. Other than accepting Christ as your Savior, it's that plus works or... You've got to continue to keep the law, or you're not saved. Of course, the Bible shows us both of those are false. And so, then we were right in the middle of early church fathers, and that's where we we're kind of pick up today. And I don't have a lot uh, on your handout about them, but I just want you to listen to some of the things um, that they teach. And so, last week I think I'd got down to Origin, and Origin is a piece of work. He, he's, now, if you look at church history, you'll find two different groups of history. One of them basically telling the, the, what I'm going to say the false side, and one of them saying the biblical side. So you have to kind of watch what your sources are when you go back and look at church history. Because you got two groups trying to, uh, you got one group trying to teach the truth, and you got one group trying to muddy the truth, okay? I would say that. But this man, Origen, that lived from 184 to 254, he was the worst of the worst. And let me just read a few things that Origen did. And in some of these in the past, we've, we've actually looked at Bible verses to, to show what they taught was, was incorrect. And But with today, I, I want to try to get through this to get to where I want to be. And so, um, just bear with me. I'm just going to kind of throw some of this out. So, um, Origen was born in Alexandria, Egypt. And again, we learned that anything from Egypt is not good, is it? God called us out. He called his people out of Egypt as a symbolism that Egypt is always symbolizes the world. So he wanted his people out of the world. And yet we see everything in the Bible that's in Egypt is basically uh, not not good. So Origen, he's born in Alexandria. And he studied under Clement that we talked about last week. And he becomes the leader of the Alexandrian school. But his teachings are so heretical that even they kick him out. That's pretty bad when 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 you are kicked out of the the own school that you're ahead of. So, let me just give you a few things that he taught and we'll see if he really was a heretic. First of all, he taught reincarnation. Is that a flag for anybody? Okay. He taught that every soul came into this world perfect. Okay. He taught... That every soul migrates through three phases until they get purified. I don't know. I think the New Agers kind of teach something like that, don't they? Every new, every new uh, false religion or cult, you can probably go back and pull, and they pull some of their teachings out from what this guy taught. He also taught that Genesis account of creation was a myth. Basically, right there would tell you that he doesn't believe the Bible, right? He taught that Adam and Eve were not real people. That it was just a story that God put in there. He taught that the Bible was full of errors, that there's no second coming of Christ. He taught that salvation is only available to those who deserve it. Well, there's nobody saved. <laughs> the Bible teaches that nobody deserves it. There's no one righteous. No, Not one, right? Um, he taught that... Infant baptism was scriptural. Oh, we've been seeing that pop up with everybody, haven't we? That was one of those early church heresies that they began to baptize uh, infants. It started out as like teenagers and then got all the way down to infants. And it's like, and again, that's against everything the Bible teaches, everything what Baptists believe, because they believe what the Bible teaches, is that you got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ before you are baptized, right? Not for baptism, or not for salvation is what they teach. Uh, He taught that um, we should uh, never address Jesus in prayer. He taught that the Holy Spirit is a created being and that there is no bodily resurrection. He would fit kind of in with the Sadducees we studied last week, would not it? And that's one thing that kind of got me. And again, we, it's pretty loose in this class. And I tell you a lot of things I pick up on and learn. I had never really thought about the Sadducees and the Pharisees when Jesus was here. There's two sects in the church, and both of them were wrong. You got the Sadducees, the Sad, and I said the church, the Jewish religion. He dealt with the Sadducees, and they did not believe in anything spiritual. They did not believe in a, bod, a body resurrection. And yet they came and asked Jesus about a question about body resurrection, about the woman that had all these these husbands. But think about that. Did you ever think about that? Here's a group inside the Jewish religion that doesn't believe it, that doesn't believe the the, the Old Testament. The Sadducees did not believe the Old Testament, and yet they're religious rulers in that religion. It's like, that is wild. But this guy here had the same thing. He did not believe in any bodily resurrection, just like them. Um, he saved. He believed that he was saved, and people were saved by doing good to his fellow man. He believed on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Can anybody tell me who that's aimed at? It's in the Bible, but who's it aimed at? Well, number one, Jews, but specifically it's, it's for Jews, it's for people in the millennium. It's a millennial passage, okay? And he also believed that you needed to live the golden rule. Well, that's, that, that's good, right? What is the golden rule? Now, I remember as a kid, they'd have the golden buffet on TV commercials. How many of you remember them? The golden buffet. I never went there. Did anybody go there? Okay. Oh, Julie went there. Can I touch you afterwards? You've been to the Golden Buffet. We'd probably be going there after church if it was there today, wouldn't we, Mark? Okay. So what is the golden rule? Do unto others. Okay. Wasn't it George Carlin said the golden rule was do unto others and then split? Is that the golden rule? No. Do unto others, do good. and Now, tell me that again, Diana. Do unto others as you would have others. Okay. And we find that in Matthew seven twelve. Okay. But is that going to get you to heaven? No. Good, thing to, good thing to work on. But just like, uh, you know, I had a pastor a friend of mine, you know, a pastor of mine, well, let's put it this way, an ex-pastor of mine. How should I say that, Carrie? A guy I used to know. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. Former. <laughs> a, no, no. A former pastor I used to know said, you know, the, uh, the Mormon people. Are, are really good moral people. But they'll send you to hell on the moral road. Okay? This guy was the same way. You know, live the golden rule. Do good unto others. But that's not going to get you to heaven. Okay, okay, so what did he base his beliefs on? I mean, where did he get his beliefs? Did he have a bunch of... Or- texts around that he put, well I like that one I'll take that one uh, well a lot of it was from philosophy we talked about philosophy and Greek philosophy before that and a lot of it was if he just didn't like it, he just changed it he goes, that doesn't make sense to me he just changed it if and you so, have, if you have Jesus Christ in your heart as your personal savior you will treat others well, but it's not going to get you to heaven to treat others well Right. How ma- you have to have the relationship okay. Do you know people that are lost but they're good? Well, yeah. they're at least moral people. I'm not wow. going to say good because yeah. no one's good but God. But they're at least moral. Right. But they're lost. Exactly. Right. Okay. But that, and basically that's what he's teaching. If you just do good. You'll be able to if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then God will let you in. Well, we've heard that before. That's right back from what he taught. So let's keep moving. Uh, and these verses were good that he used he used the Sermon on the Mount he used Matthew seven twelve uh with the golden rule but they're not for salvation okay he believed that he was saved by doing something remember remember back in, A- in Acts you have to do something to get saved that doesn't include faith you have to do something to get it okay first heresy um he didn't read his Bible, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, he held that there were many works that were equal with the Bible, including the Apocrypha, the Shepherd of Hermas, the writings of Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. So that's where he's getting a lot of his false philosophy. Okay. Now, let me make a note of interest here that the Sinait- Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus editions of the Bible. Contain these books also. So where are they getting that from? Is okay, that part of Catholicism. It it leads right into it. Okay, it does. Okay, so he taught self denial, self penance to pay for his sins. His sins. So he would also beat himself to be to appease God. <laughs> okay. Now, any of you watched the movie The Da Vinci Code several years back? There was a guy on that movie. That was a Catholic monk. Remember him? Remember what, what, what was strange about him? What was strange about his appearance? I'm seeing if you're telling me the truth. What, what, kind, of, what kind of skin? Did, he was the albino guy. Remember him in that? What did he do? He would take chains and beat himself. Where'd, and there's a group inside that religion, I'm not even going to call it a church, that, that does that. Where did they get that? Right back from origin. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, this guy, this guy put a lot of bad stuff out there, okay? And I've probably told you way more about him than you want. So that's not my point today, okay? Um, so let me tell you just a couple more things about him, then we'll stop. He produced a work called the Hexapla, which contained the Apocrypha, but it was basically a work on the Old Testament, okay? So he, he produced this work, And he put all these other books with it, along with the Old Testament, which he was supposed to have translated, along with the Apocrypha. But the problem is, there's not one Jewish person in history that recognizes that as being authentic, because they did not follow the Old Testament way of how you write the Scriptures. You remember the old testament was 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 written and copied by by the scribes they had a specific set of ways how the by, the Old Testament was to be copied and and written down through time. this guy didn't follow that again probably did the same thing took out things he didn't want okay like uh, the Joseph Smith when he wore glasses and threw rocks and said that this is what is that what he did that's what i thought i was okay joseph smith's the mormon right he got he was supposedly got a uh, received an angel who was it that had they came down and family? gave him golden tablets hmm? It was, joseph Smith. was it him okay Mor- uh, moroni had to translate okay moroni was the angel he's talking about okay and f- focus on the first part of that name moroni Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, I threw that in for free, I, I wasn't in my notes. So uh, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, refuse anything that Origen did, so why should anybody else take it and believe what he says, okay? So that, that was him, and uh, uh, let me see what else I want to talk about him, um, that that was it. I thought it was very interesting that even the the Orthodox Jews reject Origen's work because of of what he did. Um, so the next guy on our list is who Eusebius. Okay, and he's right after him. He goes. He's a close friend and advisor to the next guy that's on our list called Constantine. Constantine's actually not a church father. He's actually a Roman emperor, but I threw him in the list because he gets tied in with Eusebius. So Eusebius and Constantine is... Or Eusebius is an advisor and close friend to this Roman emperor, Constantine. And Eusebius wrote a book on Constantine, which he basically deifies him as a god. So you can see why the two of them are friends. You know, Okay. And he states that Constantine's conquering of the empire was the fulfillment of a Christian kingdom that would finally convert the whole world into Christianity. Of course he was going to do it by force, but you know that's what he taught or read. And uh, but you got to remember that Constantine persecuted the true church. So Eusebius was given a a prominent place at the Council of Nicaea that's also on our list here in 325 by Constantine. And at this con- council, Constantine requested 50 Bibles. Okay, I'm not going to get in a lot of de- uh, information about Constantine. How many of you have heard of him before? He, he's the Roman emperor that, that basically marries Christianity or basically false Christianity with the state. And so for the next thousand years the state and the, basically the false church are hooked up together and they try to wipe out Bible-believing Christianity, okay um, and so at this, at this one council uh, Constantine asked Eusebius uh, to produce 50 Bibles for him okay, so we can still see the letter that, that he wrote to Eusebius, that Constantine wrote at the British Museum of Antiquity in London today, that letter is still preserved for us, okay And so um, where do you think he got his Bible to give it to him? He went right back to his former friend Origen, and got a Bible from him, okay to fill the order. okay And so uh, why did Constantine want 50 copies of the Bible? So I'm going to go a little deeper. I'm probably leaving out. 99.9% of the good historical stuff and just throw in questions that I have when I'm reading it. Why did he want 50 copies of the Bible? You think he wanted to get them out to people need, that needed the Bible? Hmm. you got to remember who Constantine was. Maybe he wanted to show that he... I mean, to think that the, those who knew him would think that he was really propagating the gospel. Okay, or for show. For, sure. for show. Look at me. I've got 50 copies of the Bible... Never mind if they're the right Bible, but anyway. So uh, but there's no record of any of those, where those 50 Bibles went. We don't know where they're at, except for we believe where two of them went. So you've got to remember who this Constantine guy was. He also killed his own son for, for uh, fear that he would take over his kingdom. Pretty rough. In other words, my point I want to make out, Constantine was not a nice But it's not a true Christian because you don't kill your son if you're a Christian, do you? Okay. And uh, because he thought his son might overthrow him. Now, that that, kind of reminds me of other dictators. Well, I'll call them dictators or kings or whatever you want to call them. Who's done that before in in just recent history? Anybody know of anybody that had their own kids killed because they were a, a... Threat to their authority. There were a lot of Caesars that did that. Stalin, Stalin did that. He had his own. In North Korea. He, he wipes out family members So it's nothing new, is it? No, it's, it's happened a lot. It, it, and yet, that's what man does. If if you threaten their authority, they'll have you whacked. Okay, and that's what Constantine did. So. Let me jump ahead a little bit. On February the 4th of 1859, there was a a doctor by the name of, get this, Constantine Tischendorf. Focus on the first name, Constantine, okay? It's the same as the emperor, okay? Uh, But again, you know, 1,300 years later, 1,500 years later, he came across an ancient manuscript of the Bible that's called Sinaiticus. And it was written on leather, vellum scrolls. Uh, People did some tests on it, and they believed that this Bible was written around 300 A.D. Okay? Now, a similar document was found in the Vatican Library in Rome. It was also tested and believed to have been written around 300 A.D. on vellum. They both fairly well match, But here's the problem. They both disagree with each other in over 3,000 places. And yet, scientists believe, not just Christians, scientists believe, historians believe that these two disagreeing Bibles are two of the 50 Bibles that Constantine had requested. Okay? All right. So again, Constantine, he marries the church and the state together. They have a false church in the state. They have a false Bible. And you have the extermination of the real church for the next thousand years. Why is? The, have you ever heard of the Dark Ages? Why are they called the Dark Ages? The because the gospel light was tra- was trying to be exterminated by the false church. Did it happen? Yes. No. No, no, no. 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 Or we wouldn't be here. Okay. So then we've got all the popes. We've got all the councils that we talked a little bit about last week. So we're somewhat caught up to about 1500 AD. And now I want to get to where I want to talk about today. Okay. So I want to talk about the gospel going to Wales. First of all, in the back of our book of this, we hand it out. We had a bunch of Bible line, we got a false line that goes through. At the very beginning, we have, back in 100, the word England, and we have Wales in there. So, again, I want to ask you, how did the Bible get to England before 100 A.D.? Okay, you have to remember, Paul's living around 50 to 60, uh, probably... uh, uh, killed around maybe late 60s A.D., how did the gospel get to England by 100 A.D.? So let's stop for a second. So how did... Well, first of all, does anybody know where Wales is? Anybody? Where's Wales? That in Scotland. Actually, it's in England. It's, it's, it's a section of England... Uh, actually, on the southwestern side of England is a, a section called Wales, and there's a small mountain range between the main body of England and Wales. Okay. Isn't that where Princess Diana was?
1: Wales. You know, I
0: don't know. My 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 wife, Carrie, is she's a Welshman. She has Welsh, cool. which is what they call people in Wales. Heritage. Okay. And so that kind of ties in to where I'm wanting to go to. Not the fact that she's from Wales, but it's just interesting that uh, her bloodline may get back to that. But anyway, so Wales is a section of England, okay? So how did the gospel get, I'm going to erase this. Everybody have a happy Father's Day, okay? Of course, you go, maybe you haven't got your present or your dinner yet. Anybody get their present yet? Grace God is. OK. God, yes. I got some shirts, so I'm wearing one of mine today, so that's good. so hopefully that will happen. So how did how did the gospel get from um, Rome to Wales? Okay? So before we even get there, I want to know how the gospel got from Jerusalem? Rome? With Paul. with Paul? Sure. You're positive. Okay. Did he get there before that? Again, I like to just throw stuff out that I think, I have a weird brain. Maybe I, I'm one of those kids that go, how come, how come, you know? So how did the gospel get from Jerusalem to Rome? We know it got with With Paul, right? So let me let me think for. Let me give you a few more details. How far is it from Jerusalem to Rome? Anybody been there lately? What's that? A day's drive. A day's drive. You must. Can you drive? You can drive there. I map quested it yesterday. You can drive there. It's a long haul. I think it's about. Let me see what my notes say. It's twelve hundred and fifty miles. It's a long drive by sea. That's the quickest way. So when Paul went there on his appeal to Caesar, it should have been 1,250 miles, but of course they went to the Um uh, 1,250 miles. How far is it from Rome to Wales or Rome to England? What do you guys think? At least 2,000. 1,000 miles. So it's closer. It's closer to Wales than Jerusalem is to Rome. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, how did the gospel get to England and Wales before 100? How did it get there? How do we know? So that's what I want to look at a little bit today. So, and it's actually closer than this, okay? So, I've got to go back and, and we've got to figure out, okay. You guys told me that the gospel got to Rome by Paul, which you are correct, but let's go back and look at it a little bit just to see if it got there before that, okay? So if you have in your, Bi- you got your Bibles with you, which you should have, turn over to Romans chapter 1. And I want to read 1 through 13, so when you guys are there, I'll I'll start this. And it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom ye also the called among... Let me back up. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I think... My God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world so we're getting a little information about whoever's at Rome for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you, Also, as even among other Gentiles. So let me stop. According to this, he hasn't been there. And there's a church. And yet, there is a church there. So, how did that church get there? Again, what did we learn a few weeks back? How our church had started? So let's think. Out of all those four reasons that I gave, how do you think the church at Rome got there? Part of the other disciples? Before that, Before that, it had to be before that, had to be before Barnabas. So it had to be somebody from Jerusalem that, that was there during the feast that may have seen Jesus after the resurrection, or realized the gospel. They went back to their city. And again, what did we say happened? They preached the gospel, Churches were formed, okay? It wasn't anybody sending them out. It could have just been them going back home. Remember, uh, when Paul was on his way to, what was the city that Paul was on his way on when he saw that? The Lord. He's on his way to Damascus to do what? To persecute the Christians. So he's going there to persecute the church that's in Damascus. So it got formed. Here's a church at Rome that somehow is formed before Paul gets there. Okay, So we know that. Okay, so there's already a church there. But he wants to go see them. Okay, so the gospel had gotten to Rome before Paul did. And Paul was also sent to Rome on his appeal to Caesar. Okay, and we know that story. And yet, even in that story, turn back just a few pages to Acts 28. And let's go down to verse 15. Paul's on his way to Rome. And in verse 15, he's getting closer to Rome. And from thence, verse 15, when the brethren heard of us, what brethren? Okay. They came to meet us as far as, how do you pronounce that word, guys? Api Appai? Forum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and he took courage. So even on his way back, to Jerusalem on when he was he had peeled into Caesar, even on that trip, when he's getting closer to Rome, there are some brethren that are finding out he's on his way, they're coming down to meet him. So again, there are people in Rome and the surrounding areas that had heard of Paul and they want to meet him. So there's Christians already in not just Rome, in Italy. And even even then there's probably Christians scattered throughout the world that we don't even know of at that point because that's what God's Word does. It just, it just it moves, okay? And so there are people there. So here are some people on his way back that come to meet him. They're already Christians because he calls them brethren. And then uh, the third way that we see that, that the gospel is there is that while Paul is there, what does he do Normally. He preaches the gospel, people get saved, churches get started, and that happens. Turn over to Philippians. Well, wait a minute, let me stop for just a minute before we leave. Let's go down to the end of Acts 28. I don't think I have this in my notes, but let's go there while we're there. Um, Well, let's just stop. Uh, Let's just start in verse... uh, Twenty. Paul's talking to the Jews and he says, uh, Acts 28.20, he says, For this cause, therefore, have I called for you, the Jews, to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of this Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm, of thee, So he's having his day with the Jews back at Rome, and he's calling the Jewish leaders to him, and he says, do you guys know why I've appealed unto Caesar and why I'm here? And, and they don't know anything about it. Well, no wonder, because uh, what, what did the Jews have to tell about Paul anyway? They didn't have anything good to say. I mean, everything they said was a lie anyway. And verse 22 says, but we desire, the Jews say, but we desire to hear of thee, what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect... What sect are they talking about there? Church. The church, the Christian church. We know that everywhere... Catch that word. They already know at Rome that there, what's going on in Christianity throughout, throughout the world that we know that this sect everywhere is, is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day... There came many into his lodging, to whom he expounded and he testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, and from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Again, same thing happening today. The gospel is preached. You have people that believe it, and you have some people that reject it. So that was with the Jewish people there. So Paul is preaching the gospel to the Jews, right? But yet he doesn't just stop with the Jewish people, okay? He also starts speaking to everyone else. So now I want you to turn over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. We're trying to piece some things together here. Philippians chapter 1. And Paul is speaking to the Philippians, and let me give you a little background of what's going on here. The he's he's writing them this letter from Rome in jail. And the church at Philippi loves Paul. Okay. Now, how many of you have had missionaries and people that have come to this church that you just connect with and you love? Hopefully all of them. But some of them maybe more than others. I mean, uh uh Doug and Bethany Pearson was just here. And I think we all kind of connect with them. Bobby just loves them. Bobby Blaine does. So she has a super tight connection with them. Um, Mark Trotter, when he came. Do you guys have a connection with him? Okay. Um Ganesh. Um, okay, any of those guys when they come. And it's just like you fall in love with them, right? You care about them. You want to know what's happening. Now, how would you feel if, if Ganesh... You know, since you a text and says they've thrown me in jail and I haven't had anything to eat for, you know, uh, four days and uh, all these things. Y- your heart would go out to him, would it not? Yes. I okay. To calling everybody to pray. That is the situation here in the book of Philippians with Paul and the church at Philippi. Okay. So then Paul is writing to them and he's trying to update them a little bit of his condition because they are. They are just, uh, what do I want to say, worried sick about about their missionary, Paul. Of course, he led them to Christ. I'd be worried too. And so, what did I t- say we'd start? Verse 12. So, Paul is writing to the Philippians and he says, "It's it's back up to verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And verse 12, he says, but I would... You should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. So he's telling them, hey guys, I know you're all upset. I'm in Rome and I'm in jail and I'm on I'm house arrest, but I'm going to tell you it's happened to the best accounts for the gospel. Okay? Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the... What's it say? palace, And in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding... Every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therefore do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. He's said, even though I'm in jail, even though I'm in dire straits, even though all the things that's happened to me, the gospel's going out and people are getting saved, even while he's in jail. Now, I know some of you guys have heard me talk about uh, when he's in jail in Philippi. Back up a little bit. And he's in jail, and who's with him? Uh, Silas, I believe. Silas and him, they're in jail. And at midnight, what were they doing when they're in jail at Philippi? They're singing. You know what? If I was in his position, that's what I'd be doing. Wouldn't you guys? No, you wouldn't. You'd be in there complaining. You'd be, God, why am I in this mess? Why am I in jail? Why am I in this Hey, I was out there preaching the gospel and I got thrown in jail. What is the deal? I'd be crying the blues. And they're praising God. I mean, that's awesome. So he's not worried about it. Even though all the things he went through, people are getting saved. He's in, he's in jail at Rome, and he's praising God because the gospel's going out, and people are hearing the gospel. Okay, And you're like, okay, so what does that have to do with Wales? I'm getting there. You're asking good questions. Okay. So while Paul is at Rome, he leads people to Christ. Do you guys agree with me on that? Yes. Okay. So, history supports that Paul had converts at Rome. So history, not only do we see that in the Bible, but history also supports that. And even among Caesar's household, even in the palace. We saw a palace earlier, Right? And so, specifically, I'm going to talk about two people, and I'm going to wrap things up here. There's two people I want you to know. One of them is the name Claudia, and the other is Pudens, P-U-D-E-N-S, Pudence. Okay? So, uh, I want you to turn over to 2 Timothy, chapter 4. And Paul is just giving a shout out, basically, what he's doing here to some people, the end of? Second Timothy Of course, Second Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote. So we're getting at the end of his life here. And I want you to look at uh, verse 21. And Second Timothy 4:21 says, "Do thy diligence to come before winter, Eubulus greeteth thee." and what's the next word? Pudence, and Linus, and what's the next word? Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with thy spirit, grace be unto you. So there are two names there that history tells us when you go back and study history. were are converts of Paul at Rome. But history will also tell us that uh, these two people were from Wales. Now, I can't go back and say this dogmatically, but when you search history books and you search that out, you'll find out that there was a a lady by the name of Claudia who had a husband by the name of Pudence. And this lady, Claudia, was the daughter of a Welsh king of Wales that history tells us visited Rome during the 60s of A.D., How did the gospel get to Rome? Pretty good bet right there, okay? Also, history tells us that there are two Christian men who travel to Wales from Rome around 160 A.D. to help with the churches that are there. Okay? Just, you know, 100 years later. So, history... is. Again, I don't take history. Everything I read in history books is being true and accurate. I'm just saying that this is one way that we can somewhat surmise that the Bible got to the got to England and Wales before 180. Okay. So, um, and then uh, these, I've been trying to study this out. It's really fascinating. But guess what? The, What happened to the Christians in northern Africa and Europe during the Dark Ages? The false church tried to wipe them out, correct? The same thing happened with these Welsh people in England, or the people from Wales. Wales uh, was a larger part of England before 500 A.D. In 600 A.D., uh, the Saxons... Came and warred against England, and I don't know where the Saxons were from. I'm assuming mainland Europe, and fought against the the uh, the people that lived in England and Wales. And basically, after the war, didn't go home and basically pushed the people, the Wales people, to the area of Wales where they are today. In other words, they were they were trying to, to exterminate them, just like they tried to exterminate the Christians the Bible-believing Christians throughout Europe and the rest of the world, the same thing was happening there in England and Wales, to the point that it was almost wiped out. Okay, so in, in the next couple of weeks ahead, I'm going to have a video of a Welsh girl that wants a Bible. And she has a very hard time acquiring a Bible Uh, The time period of that is around 1800. And we got a little bit of glimpse of that by uh, Yonita Vogley. Remember her from our Bible conference last fall? The lady with the garb on that came up? And she told a story about a Welsh girl that wanted a Bible. And as a result of her trying to get a hold of a Bible. A few years later, there was a Bible society in England that was formed. And as a result of that, Bibles began to be produced and sent to missionaries around the world. Randy probably knows way more than I know about that. But I have a, we have, I have a video of this girl. kind of, And I want to look at it. But it's interesting. Where is, our herita- where is our heritage from? And let me tell you, we owe, Baptists in America owe a lot to the Welch english baptist because history tells us and this is true uh it's been shown that whole churches from wales and from england left england and came to america and started churches okay uh, there is several churches in the in, in tennessee that can trace their history back to south carolina back to pennsylvania and right back to wales interesting So a lot of us Baptists here in our country are descendants of the Wales Baptist. Had you ever thought about that? How did how did how did Baptist get to the United States? And so in the next few weeks, not only will we continue to to work on that and see that, I want to show that it was the Baptist that basically brought about religious freedom in our country. So if you love your religious freedom, hug a Baptist. Because it's interesting when you go back and look at this. The First Amendment to our Constitution is what? Anybody know? The big deal right now is the Second Amendment, which is the right to what? Bear Bear arms. arms. What's the First Amendment? Anybody know? Religious freedom. Freedom of speech. But I think religious freedom is in there. Because at that point, there were people trying to get a church... And state led, or together, put together. the the, the uh, there were certain uh, certain states and certain organizations that was trying to marry the church and the state together. And it, or do I don't know what you call that. Uh, I call that is What I call that. Uh, but uh, yeah. So uh, even you know when the pilgrims came over and the Congregationalists came over, there was a struggle. Baptists were put in jail in the early 1700s in this country because they were Baptist because they would not baptize their children in this country. And it was a push by the Baptists to get religious freedom in this country. It was the Baptists that fought in a revolutionary war. It was the Baptist all the way down. It was a group of Bible... and I'm, I keep saying Baptists, but the point is... Bible-believing Christians that put their neck on the line not only for their country but, but for their church and for the Lord. And so we're going to continue to keep working on that. And I just find that fascinating. I'm just, I just find it fascinating. I, and, and I'm like, I, I thank God that, I, that, that uh, I got saved at a young age and, and I, I went to a Baptist church. But yet I know people that, you know, and I've had to leave a few churches because they got off doctrine and they got off things. So I'm like, you know, you ask people, why do you, why do you go to church? Well, my mom and dad go there?" That. That's not a very good reason. You go to church because of what your church teaches. And then when you know what it teaches, you go, well, where did that church come from? Where did, where did they get their teachings and so forth? And so we owe a lot. To to the Christians and the Baptist in Wales, we owe a lot to our country. Today, it was a lot of our freedom to the Baptist, and yet nobody knows that. And yet, that's how God is using us. And so, uh, but again, they don't want to get hung up on all that because we have a job to do, and what's that job? To get the gospel out. That's really our job. We get hung up on all of our constitutional rights and everything else and I'll probably be the first one that throws them out there because I'm always wondering why Paul didn't throw that right out that he was a Roman when he's in that Philippian jail get beat, getting beat. He used it when he went to Rome. <laughs> we need to use our rights when, when at the right time and yet we need to serve Christ all the time. So I probably said way more than you want to know but we're going to continue to keep working on that and, and seeing a little bit more about where what Baptist history is and where our history lies at. So uh, thank you for all that's coming, and, and hopefully I haven't bored you to tears. I'm going to pray, and we'll get dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Lord. And, and, and Lord, I pray that we would not take that for granted. I pray that each one that's in here today would, take, uh, would, would not take that for granted, but would continue just to preach the word. Tell people about Christ and how they can know Him as Savior, Lord. I pray that you'd give us open doors, give us opportunities, and give us the words to say. And I pray that whatever we do, Lord, we would honor and glorify you. Uh, I just pray that you give each one of us a great Father's Day today. Help us to just uh, realize that you are our Heavenly Father, and you love us. And in Christ's name, amen.